The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. How are you now? Um, I'm okay. I have my new uh, iPhone 6S, which I have yet to try to bend. <laughs> but I will say, I and mean, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, it is, uh, it is much snappier than my regular iPhone. We went out to the Apple store at the Toronto Eaton Center to report on the big launch of the iPhone 6S getting into people's hands, and there was a group of young Russian teens who had all arrived by themselves iPhone 6S's, and you know what they did the moment they got them out of the box? What? Deliberately drop them off the edge of the floor. Why? Why would they do that? Down three stories to the floor below. I don't know. Maybe they're internet sensations and we didn't realize it, but they deliberately destroyed their phones the second they got them. Oh, my. Oh. These Russian kids. It's not just their dash cams. And did somebody film this? I suppose they did, right? It's on the internet. Is it really? Can you send yep. me a link? I want to put that up and shame them. Pixar didn't happen, right? Exactly. Oh, that's terrible. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Nirvana's Teen Spirit is the most iconic song ever? We'll turn to science for the explanation. The Pope is releasing a progressive rock album. At the risk of eternal damnation, we'll review the pontiff's platter. Why Huey Lewis has Marty McFly to thank for his 80s rock success. <laughs> Great Scott. Plus, why science says sleeping naked is better for you. Really? Plus, your last chance to win a luggage tracker and how this show fell into bed with the uh, Satanists. Opinions are like the Blackberry Bold. You find them everywhere, but nobody's impressed with them. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. about a computer picking Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit as the most iconic song ever. Well, here's what we have to do is consider the British. Uh, the British are always putting out surveys thinly disguised as some kind of advertising. And this is exactly what happened here. This is not so much a survey as it is a study. So this uh, guy by the name of Dr. Mick Grierson was actually hired by the people at Fiat Chrysler because they wanted to launch the new Fiat 500. And they needed a little bit of advertising reconnaissance here. So what he did, he's working at the University of London, he fed data from 50 of the greatest songs ever into this computer program that he created. And this software basically tore apart each track, call it an autopsy if you want, to come up with a list of strengths and weaknesses and commonalities and points of differentiation between these 50 songs. Basically, what he was looking for was the recipe that goes into making up an iconic song. We've talked about this before with some of the songwriting software programs that are out there, like Hit Song Sciences. Everybody, you know, they look at a song, a hit song from the past, and they try and figure out ex exactly what it is that made this song a hit. Can we replicate it going forward to reduce the, uh, the amount of risk that we have launching this new song on this new artist? So uh, what he did was look at these 50 songs, things like beats per minute, uh, the key the song was in, lyrical content, 
the variety of timbre, which, you know, the various, various uh, tonalities and sounds that you hear throughout a song. Uh, sonic variants, where it's quiet, where it's loud, the transitions between the two, uh, chord variety, a whole bunch of other things. And he found a, a number of, I guess, interesting things. 80% of the songs were in a major key. It's usually A or E or C or G. The average tempo of these songs was 125 beats per minute. Most tracks had between six and eight chord changes. And then he invented something he called special flux. <laughs> Do you have to get 88 miles per hour before you can actually... Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... It describes the, the power of a note and how it varies from one to the next. I'm not really sure what that means. Imagine all the people living for today. I'm looking at these songs in addition to Smells Like Teen Spirit, which topped the chart. Right. Number two on that list was John Lennon's Imagine, which couldn't be more of a contrast to Nirvana. Well, that's it, because another thing that they he tested was something called timbral dissonance, the conflict between two adjacent notes. And it was found to be higher than normal. Now, if you listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit, you have uh, some very jarring notes that go side by side. And, and, and that seems to be an appealing thing. Imagine from John Lennon does not. That is one of the smoothest sounding songs that you'll ever hear. Same thing with the song at number three, which is one by U2. Very, very smoothly arranged and written song. And uh, for, for some reason, the, the harshness that... Uh, comes with Smells Like Teen Spirit, moved it up to the top of the charts. Well, I'll tell you one song that's not going to make it to the top of the charts comes from Pope Francis. I was kind of surprised. I had no idea that the Pope was going to release an album. Not only is he uh, releasing this album, which is called... Wake Up. Wake Up, music album with his words and prayers. And it's it's... It's kind of interesting in that there's a little bit of rock, there's a little bit of pop, uh, there's some sacred and spiritual music in here, and uh, one of the guys involved was, his name is Tony Pegluca, Pegliuca, I guess is how you pronounce it, and he was a member of a, a prog rock band, an Italian prog rock band that was formed in the middle 60s called La Orme. can't feel that by listening to this. No, I, I listen, I, I haven't heard the album. It's not going to be out until November the 27th. There's only the one song that's out right now. Wake Up, Go, Go Forward, which is an extract of a speech in English. It's the homily during the closing mass for the 6th Asian Youth Day at the Haimi Castle in South Korea. Yeah, but doesn't it sound like it should be a Wham song? <laughs> yes. You got George Michael in the background. I know. I know. It's just, it's, it's wild. So anyway, there's, there's, there's 11 tracks on the album. This one is being, it said it was being given away for free. What it's not. It's, it's actually, you have to go to a SoundCloud page and you can, you can listen to it and you can share it on SoundCloud and some of the other social networks, but you can't actually download it, which I found very uncharitable. Wake up. Wake up. 
this Lord speaks of a responsibility which the Lord gives you. All right, the fact that we've stolen this and ripped it into the show, first of all, am I going to hell? <laughs> well, maybe. And if not, am I ending up in court? Well, okay, I would love to see the Pope come after us for, <laughs> for spreading the word. Uh, listen, really, come on. What we're doing for you, Popey, is we're, we're, we're spreading the word on your, on your, your big prog rock album that's coming out in time for Christmas. Here's hoping he's not a one-hit wonder. Most of the song titles here are in, uh, in... Latin. In Latin, yeah. Which I had to study at St. Michael's Choir School so that I could actually sing in Latin. Musical uh, notes in Latin, that's a whole different language in and to itself. Were you brought up Catholic? I was. Oh, me too. I didn't know that. Yeah. Were you an altar boy? I, well, here's the thing. I'm not actually Catholic. Never went through the whole process. Just went to the school system, paid my taxes oh. into the Catholic system. And every year there'd be uh, some big event and there'd be communion and every kid would get up and I wouldn't get up for communion. They'd ask why. And I got tired of telling them that I wasn't Catholic. Instead, I would just tell them I'm Jewish. Oh, and I got to tell you, in an all-Italian and Filipino <laughs> high school in the mid-80s, to tell them you were Jewish, half of them didn't care. The other half were scared to death of me. Uh, well, okay, so that's how you made it through Catholic school. Interesting. So you are going to hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously. I think it's been established because of, of everything you've just said and everything that you did when you were in school. You lied, basically. Basically. and Beats team, Amber Healy, Shane Alexander, Matthew Smith, and Vanessa Azoli put together for the One Hit Wonder Day that passed this week. Uh, some of their favorites. This was actually pretty good. They did a very, very nice job. AHA's Take On Me is on the top of the list, technically only a one hit wonder in North America. Yeah, because The Sun Always Shines on TV and a few others were never hits in North America. Again, let's establish this, okay? The definition of a one-hit wonder in this part of the world is you had only one song to make it onto the Billboard Top 40 charts. You may have had other big songs, but if you did not make more than, and if you did not have more than one song on the Top 40 charts, you are technically, under this definition, a one-hit wonder. For example, if you are, let's say, Blind Melon and you had no rain. Blind Melon fans will bristle if you say that they were a one-hit wonder. They're not, because they had a bunch of other songs that people were, you know, dug a lot. But if you talk to somebody about Katrina and the Waves and Walking on Sunshine, that's definitely a one-hit wonder. Nina, 99 Red Balloons, definitely a one-hit wonder. My favorite uh, one-hit wonder of all time is uh, Carl Douglas from 1974 with Kung Fu Fighting, a song that was recorded in 10 minutes and two takes. It was supposed to be an obscure B-side, but the head of the record label heard the song, realized that Kung Fu was a big deal back then with Kwai Chang Kane and Kung Fu on TV with David Carradine and Bruce Lee and all that sort of stuff. Uh, he ordered it released as an A-side. It went to the top of the charts in more than half a dozen countries and sold 11 million copies. We haven't heard from Carl Douglas since, and uh, he does have a website, but the last time it was updated was October 2005. 
Every week at geeksandbeats.com, we've got the Geek Beat Pick of the Week, and it was Matt Smith's turn, and he decided to go back in time to the future. Uh, the whole soundtrack or just the Huey Lewis and the News song? The whole soundtrack, because it starts with the theme by Alan Silvestri, who, of course, I think has done pretty much every single movie theme since 1972. Uh, Danny Elfman's in there, too. James Horner uh, and John Williams. Sorry about that. But anyway, continue. But the entire film has some really great music in it. Um, Marty McFly with the Starlighters doing uh, Johnny B. Good three years before Chuck Berry actually did it. That was uh, interesting, yes. Chuck! Chuck! It's Marvin! Your cousin, Marvin Barry. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. But to your point about Huey Lewis in the news, as popular as Huey Lewis was with sports, I suspect the power of love is what really put him over the top when it came to mainstream success. Oh, that was a massive song. Everybody, you know, and he actually had a, 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 a part in uh, Back to the Future. That's right. That's he right. He was the, the teacher, right? With the with the megaphone, he was he was one of the teacher judges for the big event, and he was the he's the guy with, that holds up the microphone, uh, the 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 megaphone. Oh, it does. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Next place. Name. Wait, before we go any further, name the other music star that was in a Back to the Future movie. Oh, I have no idea who. Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Really? Yeah, he's seen in a pickup truck at the end of the. I think it's the second movie. So it's more like a cameo or a Alfred Hitchcockian walk-on. Yeah. Well, no, he's, he's he's in a truck and he's got his weird hair and his bad teeth, and uh, he 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 shot something out the window. I can't. It's either the second or third movie. I can't, I can't remember which. Earth Angel as Marty McFly is almost erased from existence. Uh, that one was a critical moment in the movie and, in and to itself, a fantastic track. George, aren't you going to kiss me? I, I don't know. Scram, McFly. Cutting in. Okay, pop quiz. The name of the dance that Marty McFly went to and forced George McFly and Lorraine Baines to uh, dance. Was it Under the Sea? Close. Oh, I got it. Oh no! What was it? Enchantment under the sea. Uh, I knew it had something to do with uh, with it had a, a sea theme. Okay. Huey Lewis really sort of became Huey Lewis as we know it today um, because of the Back in Time track, which charted number three in September of 1985 on the Billboard Album Rock Tracks chart. When did we become become such a music program? <laughs> well, if you notice, last week it was pretty much exclusively a geek show. Yeah, oh, I see, so we're just evening things out. Okay, that's fine. we we got to even things out a little bit, so Matt Smith's helping us out with this. But uh, every week, the team puts together a new collection of geek beat picks that are tied to not just being geeky, but uh, the music industry itself. Yeah, okay, well, this is a good one. I look forward to what they have coming up for next week. You're reporting the Australian government is linking alternative music to terrorism. This is a, a very weird thing. I'm surprised it hasn't received more attention than it has. Uh, they have a... An anti-radicalization program that has been launched by the Australian federal government and what they're doing is distributing this stuff to, to teachers and other community workers, I suppose, to help them look for signs of radicalization amongst their, their charges, their students or whoever that they're looking after. So one of the things that they've done is 
they're, they try to make a list. They try to make a list of things that get young people to do weird, radical, law-breaking things. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this. This is from um, the Australian network ABC. The minister assisting the prime minister on terrorism, a guy by the name of Michael Keenan, launched the Radicalization Awareness Kit in the form of a 32-page booklet uh, about 10 days ago. Through a series of examples and fictitious cases, the booklet aims to illustrate the circumstances which can lead young people to become radicalized. But one surprising example cites the power of alternative music, the alternative music scene, and environmental activism in the radicalization process. The case study in the violent extremism section tells the story of a girl named Karen who becomes involved in the quote-unquote alternative music scene and student politics and left-wing activism, and she leaves home. She ends up sabotaging logging machinery and being arrested on numerous occasions while becoming totally cut off from the family. The implication here is that because she got into this music, it led her astray down the path of either extreme right wing or extreme left wing politics and activism. And as a result, she's uh, sabotaging bulldozers or whatever. This just brings us full circle back to the Americans and the FBI investigating musicians. We all know about Elvis Presley. Uh, The Monkees were investigated for a while, weren't they? Uh, John Lennon was. uh, The Kingsman and Louie Louie was the subject of a two-year FBI investigation because everybody was absolutely certain that the lyrics were obscene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, everybody has a dossier, especially in under the, uh, the during the Hoover years. Hoover had a dossier on just about everybody. Woody Guthrie had an FBI file that starts in 1941. Sure, because he was a he was a left wing folk singer, right? And and the the status quo um, establishment people in Washington were were terrified of this guy. Because, again, remember, this is the era of communism, and they thought that this guy might be a rabble-rouser and somebody that might get people turned over to the, to the dark side, to the, to the commie side. So, Well, he, they weren't without cause for wanting to be on top of Mr. Guthrie himself because he had a column for People's World, which was a communist newspaper in Southern California in 1939 and 1945. The column was titled, Woody Says. <laughs> I remember that. And again, it's, it's hard to, to understand exactly how great the Red Scare was back in the 40s and 50s. This was a, a planet divided into two, the capitalists on one side, the, or the freedom-loving capitalists on one side, and the horrible, oppressive authoritar- authoritarian commies on the other. And uh, it was this mortal battle back and forth and back and forth. And any opportunity that the West had to crush communist sympathies in the West especially in the arts community, music, movies, television, wherever, uh, they would do it. And, and so they had all these dossiers and they spied on these people. My favorite FBI dossier is on the Nine Inch Nails. Oh. When in 1989 they shot a video for Down In It and the cameras were on helium balloons and they floated away, uh, carried 200 kilometers to a Michigan farmer's property. And they got all concerned about what on earth this big bundle of wires was and ended up calling the FBI. Well, the problem, yeah, and they viewed it and it was a pretty extreme video. They thought... At, upon first viewing, that they were seeing a, a snuff film. I don't know how you could confuse Nine Inch Nails videos for snuff films. But that was the problem. So there was this huge investigation, and they realized, oh, okay, it's just a, one of these alternative rock bands shooting a video. Oh, well, all right, never mind. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. 
Well, we have a new co-producer on this week's show. Oh, very nice. Uh, well, wait for it. Marvin Satello of the Satanic Temple is running in California's 40th district for the House of Representatives. <laughs> and because he dropped down the 25 bucks to become the co-producer, he says, hey, you promised you'll talk about me on the show, so talk about me on the show. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, his name, uh, Martin Sotelo. Marvin Sotelo. Sorry, the Satanic Temple House of Representatives, California 40th District. Yes. There's 40 districts? Uh, I guess there are. Uh, he describes himself as a Democrat who thinks rationally and independently. Uh, he believes on uh, putting a lot of energy into uh, environmental issues, particularly sustainable energy. Uh, he says um, the recent shutdown of the federal government demonstrates the absolute worst aspects of the zero-sum political game playing and that many in Washington have forgotten that they are a body of public servants. So he wants to generate new jobs, achieve responsible cuts in federal spending while maximizing productivity, and as he writes, promote fiscal responsibility by promoting transparency and reductions in government spending by cutting the pay of all politicians in half. And as an act of good faith, he says he'll take a three-quarter pay cut. Now... Call me crazy, but none of that sounds particularly satanic. There doesn't seem to be a lot tied to Satanism in this. However, he is very pro-religious rights, meaning that he thinks that any reference to the Bible or Christianity or religion in general should be removed from the school system completely. So this is a Satanist in favor of separation of church and state. Again, doesn't sound particularly satanic to me because... The Satanists that I've heard from actually want equal representation, equal time in things like the school system and in public places, and are, as a result, erecting statues to Beelzebub in, in, in these places because, hey, if you can put a manger there, I should be able to put a picture of, uh, of, of the devil. He wants to uh, focus on advancing science, tech, and engineering, a healthcare system for all Americans, so it sounds like he's pro-universal healthcare, and enforcing punishments against those who steal information, uh, like combating cybercrime, government spying, torture, hacktivism, etc., saying your private life should be private and the government's actions should be public. So he's, he's a libertarian. Sounds like. Uh, he is also apparently um, a uh, known member of a gang, according to the local police, and uh, is also a musician. He's got a lot on the go, this guy. I mean, he does. And, and now, because, because we've taken his $25 to be the co-producer and get the credit on the show, it's kind of like how Fox News is the mouthpiece of the Republican Party in the United States. We are now the mouthpiece of Saleto. And the Satanic Temple House of Representatives, California, 40th District. Okay, Marvin Satello, uh, we offer you our highest endorsement uh, for whatever it is that you're running for. And although we are in a completely different sovereign state, uh, we wish you nothing but the best. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. I'd like to remind them that as a trusted TV personality, uh, I could be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. As we discussed earlier, I went, I spent my entire scholastic career in the Catholic school system. Actually took a world religions class where the vast majority of it was Catholicism. When I put my hand up and said, how come I'm not learning about other religions? I was told uh, by the father that, you know, you have to understand your own religion before you can understand others. We never got into Satanism. No. Well, that's unfortunate because, well, then we could have a much more intelligent conversation about 
uh, Marvin Sorotello of the Satanic Temple House of Representatives, California, 40th District. Right. Like, if if I knew enough about it, we could actually have a pretty fun, silly goofball conversation. But I don't know enough about it to know whether or not I'm stepping on toes and perhaps hooved toes. There are, I would imagine that there are different denominations within the Satanic religions. Oh, you think like splitter groups, kind of like the Protestants? Well, sure. I mean, Reformation. The only people we ate more than the Romans are the f***ing Judean people's front. And the Judean popular people's front. Oh, yes. And the people's front of Judea. The people's front of Judea. Splitters. We're the people's front of Judea. I mean, you have different flavors of Catholicism. You have different flavors of Protestantism. You have different flavors of Islam. So I would imagine that there are different sects, cults. All right, Marvin, we want answers. So we want you to call us at area code 323-319-NERD. Explain the satanic component to this because we're fascinated by this. And I want to know what hymns you sing. So he is now the co-producer for this episode. So he gets uh, not only uh, his name and and a little bit mentioned about him on the big show, but also uh, we will send him the album art, which is suitable for printing and framing and hanging in his parents' basement. And you can do so as well. So if you want us to to blather on about you, by all means, go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link. There are a couple of ways you can support us, either by the $25 one-time donation or multiple-time donation if you want to be a co-producer on multiple events. But you can also be a member of the world's worst intern program. And what makes it the worst intern program is you pay us to work on the show, don't do any actual work, and we pocket the $1 donation. That $1 actually becomes a raffle ticket for the track dot luggage tracer that we're giving away next week. Now, the track dot luggage tracer is something that you put in your luggage, and then you check it on the aircraft, and then you always know where it is. So there's none of this anxiety of standing at the baggage belt wondering whether or not your suitcase got lost, because you know it has phoned home and told you on your phone where it is. Right. It's cellular-based, and they've got roaming relationships all around the world. So no matter where your bag ends up, you get a notification once it hits a a cell tower and knows what's going on. Um, So if you go to geeksandbeats.com, click the Support the Show link, you can become an intern for a buck an episode, and each dollar represents a raffle ticket. So if you want to support us for $10 an episode or what have you, by all means, we'd appreciate that. Uh, Meantime, you found this really interesting thing about podcasting itself. I feel a hot wind on my shoulder And the touch of a world that is older I turn the switch and check the number I leave it on while in bed I slumber I hear the rhythms of the music I buy a product and never use it I hear the talkings of the DJ Can't understand just what does he say I'm on a Mexican radio Yeah, I'm doing some work outside this program on the nature of podcasting. You're not cheating on me, are you? No, I'm not cheating. No, I'm actually doing some hardcore research on it because I want to make sure that our program is as good as it can possibly be. And I was doing some research uh, in, in a couple of places, and I ran across this thing, I think it was on Radio Info. 
And uh, there were five things that we really should consider when it comes to podcasting. Uh, number one, we know that podcast listeners are huge fans of audio. That makes an awful lot of sense, right? So mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're listening to radio, satellite streaming, anything like that, chances are you're going to be a podcast fan. The shorter the podcast, the greater the likelihood of a podcast being fully completed. We've talked about that. How long should this podcast be? And we've decided it should be in the, what, no more than 42 minutes. It's about 42 minutes, which we figure is the average commute for someone who's coming in from the burbs. And the neat thing about the stat on shorter the podcast, the greater the likelihood that it's fully completed, is that anything beyond 45 minutes, you lose people. You lose most of your listeners, two-thirds of them, within the first 20 minutes, let alone 40. Yeah, I, I totally get that because I listen to a lot of podcasts and I bail at least, well, there are so many that I bail at the 30-minute mark because I've, I never got a chance to finish it. Or um, I become distracted, never go back to it. So, no, what interests me is not number four, which is podcast users listen the most, followed by AM, FM. It's that podcast prime time is the middle of the day and then late at night. When we schedule our multiple tweets to promote the show, we've been doing it from 5 a.m. to midnight. We should probably be doing it from 11 a.m. to about 9 p.m. Yeah, you're probably right. So if we spam you, we'll spam you uh, very specific times of the day now. I found that really interesting because it's not when I listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts when I'm going to work or when I'm coming home, which is, you know, basically commuter times. And late at night, no. Uh, early evening, okay, because I go out and take the dog for a walk, but... That's interesting. Yeah, I, c I can tell because I'll listen to the show back to make sure that, as you and I've discussed in the past, that you improve. And if if I'm listening to this on my way into work, these words right now, I'm really late for work. <laughs> yeah, because we are how far into the show? Yeah. Yeah. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. Wired had a fascinating article titled, The Most Innovative Cities in the World. You've been, I can imagine, to a fair number of these cities. Uh, eight cities that will show you what the future will look like. And they deal with design issues by and large. Uh, Los Angeles is in there. Shanghai is in here as well. Medellin in Colombia. But the one that really interested me, particularly since I know very little about this part of the world, is how Saudi Arabia tries to prepare for three million pilgrims every year. Yeah, and apparently not very well, because if you look back at the number of people who die during the Hajj, it has been disastrous over the last 15 years or so. Well, this is exactly why things could have been a heck of a lot worse if it wasn't for some of the things that the kingdom has done. For five days every year, the population jumps by three million people. And then the rest of the time, it doesn't have all those people. So why would you build infrastructure just to accommodate that? It needs to be adaptable. And one of the neat things that they've done is they've dealt with the 600 tons of trash a day that three million pilgrims generate. And the solution? Pneumatic tubes. So they just suck it all away? 
twenty billion dollars spent on mosque improvements, and it'll <laughs> disappear into four hundred openings, get sucked at forty miles per hour through an underground network of pneumatic tubes to a station more than a kilometer away, where it then gets trucked to landfills. That's fantastic. I love that. Sounds expensive. Yeah. To your point, though, about the issues of, of crowd control and, and the stampedes that they've had as of late, what they did was they expanded the Great Mosque to handle the bigger crowds by noticing that people, when there was overflow, ended up on the roof. So they just built out the roof and made the roof bigger. Mm. And um, that was one of the big solutions because you have to um, go counterclockwise around the uh, Kaaba twice on the Hajj trip. And so the architects from the firm Gensler took a cue from the rooftop pilgrims and proposed a series of eight-sided platforms surrounding it uh, so that they can upgrade the mosque. Interesting. But then this year they had the crane mm. that was part of the construction site fall over and kill a bunch of people. Exactly. It, it's been a really bad year for the Saudis. And, and the Iranians are talking about suing them and asking for some kind of you know massive uh, apology because a lot of the people that died were Iranian. They're working as well on a new hotel in Mecca, f planned for completion in 2017, Wired reports. Uh, the Abraj Kudai will be the biggest hotel in the world with 12 towers, 10,000 hotel rooms, 70 restaurants, four helipads, a shopping mall, and a bus station. I thought that the MGM Grand in Las Vegas was big, and I think it's got 3,200, 3,500 rooms or whatever it is, and that was unbelievably huge. Five floors are reserved just for the Saudi royal family, and if you are simply wealthy, as opposed to uber wealthy, you get standard accommodations on the lower levels. Wow. 10,000 rooms. Think of, think of the housekeeping for that. that yes. that's, that's, that's incredible. How do you make up... 10,000 hotel rooms every single day. Well, the, uh, you, as far as the stampedes and the problems that they had had, um, they had other issues. Like a, uh, There was a deadly fire back in 1997, which is actually the reason why they built this city um, basically out of fiberglass tents. Ten, well, 100,000 fiberglass tents in the Mina Valley, which is the midpoint for the Hajj. And so in the past, it was simply just a, a sandy plain, and you just put up a tent yourself. But now they've formalized that and they've got a network of permanent fire hydrants, uh, semi-permanent structures, Teflon coated with fiberglass, which are about 850 square feet. And because you have so many, you've got 3 million people crammed into such a small space, they've got dedicated hospitals and ambulances in this little tent city that they've built. And they're going to need this sort of stuff because one of the things that they're very concerned about, and you don't hear too much about it, is MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Okay. Uh, oh, it, it's 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 kind of like SARS, uh, and it has been traced back to the Middle East. And whenever you have millions and millions of people coming together, there is the chance for communicable diseases to become communicable. So. Uh, doctors and scientists are watching the Hajj each year very carefully since the rise of MERS to see if there is any connection between the two. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. All right, Alan Cross. The big question is, do you know the medical reason why you 
should be sleeping in the nude. Actually, I do not. I've never really been a pajama sort of guy, and I get hot at night, so I... I, I could just picture you in some sort of checkered outfit with a little, <laughs> a little pocket. I've never understood why pajama tops for men have little pockets. No, I've never... That's true. I do have one pair of pajamas, and I, I bought them in Vietnam from some... They're the black pajamas that the Viet Cong used to wear. They sell them as tourist items. Oh, how lovely. So I have a pair of Viet Cong pajamas. It's weird. It's just for when the, the company stays overnight. Uh, something like that. And they're, they're extraordinarily comfortable and cool. The reason we're bringing this up is rawstory.com has a headline that reads, You'll sleep better if you sleep naked. And this is all according to science. Although apparently, and this is good news I can imagine for the pajama industry, only 8% of Americans say they sleep in the buff. Oh, how many? 8%? 8%. 8 out of every 100 Americans says, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't have pajamas or anything like that. The problem is when you are wearing pajamas, your body temperature dips and climbs before you wake up. And according to Men's Health Sleep Advisor W. Christopher Winter, MD, clothing interferes with this natural fluctuation. Right. If you ever have a nap in the afternoon, you may notice that uh, after about 90 minutes, you wake up and you feel warm. That's one of those circadian temperature fluctuations. And it happens over, well, every 90 minutes or so over the course of an evening. Because your body doesn't cool down enough at night, you're unable to reach the deeper, most restorative stages of sleep. When you're in REM sleep, the body doesn't sweat or shiver. So if you're not wearing pajamas, you're not going to feel cold anyway. Oh, see, I didn't know that. But perhaps, most importantly for some, you'll end up having more sex. Well, if there is skin-to-skin contact, I can understand that, yes. Uh, According to this article, it's, of course, not just common sense that without clothing barriers, bodies that go bump in the night are more likely to engage each other. Uh, But um, skin-on-skin contact triggers the release of oxytocin. How do you pronounce that? Uh, That's close enough. Oxytocin. Yeah. It's that feel-good hormone. Which relieves stress. It alleviates depression. It fosters intimacy and lowers your blood pressure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, an, it's a natural uh, anxiety dissipator. Right. Now, f- men and women independently have their own various body issues when you wear pajamas versus when you do not. For the ladies, the benefit is that you don't have a warm environment that encourages bacteria in certain parts of your body. 
I see. And so the line reads, ventilate around the lady bits to discourage bacteria from flourishing. Thank you, Dr. Hainsworth. No, oh, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on the radio. But according to Brian Stexter, MD, a urologist who tells Men's Health magazine that for guys who sleep in their underwear, they increase the odds of getting an infection in the, quote, worst possible place. Is that so? Yes. Are we not wonderful for spreading this important information? <laughs> what would people do without this show is what you're saying? We're actually helping people live better lives. We're helping people become healthier. We're helping people avoid the pitfalls of wearing pajamas and other tight-fitting clothes when they go to bed. You've heard the phrase beauty rest. Yes. This is relevant as well. Once your body has the ability to naturally regulate its temperature and isn't obscured by clothing, not only do you get a better night's sleep, but you look better the next day. The body releases the anti-aging hormones melatonin and the growth hormone HGH, which boosts cell regeneration. So not only is not only are you well rested, but your skin and hair are looking healthier and younger. Is that so? And because you're sleeping coolly, the stress hormone cortisol is uh, kept in check because scientists have learned that high cortisol levels not only trigger an increase in insulin, but it decreases fat burning and appetite, controlling hormones necessary to keep you um, staying nice and slim. Could explain why I don't have any gray hair. I'm just saying. But it does... It doesn't explain that face. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.